Beloved, please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Jonah, book of Jonah chapter 1 and verses 7 through 17 as we continue uh, walking through uh, this uh, minor prophet, uh, learning so much uh, about uh, mission. Uh, It has been uh, interesting over the past several weeks that uh, the Lord has, uh, in His providence, had me in a, a conference, a pretty sizable conference in Newcastle, uh, preaching and teaching on mission, hearing lots of messages on uh, the mission of the church and uh, the Great Commission, and, uh, and then to be in lots of conversations with folks who do not know the Lord and who need the Lord, even as we need the Lord. Uh, and, and so uh, the Lord has us in Jonah, I believe, in this season of the church uh, to encourage us, uh, to compel us, to have more of a heart for uh, those who are around us, for if you are uh, like me, your heart will often get caught up in all of the, the very real and often good distractions uh, of our lives, and yet there are many who are perishing, and uh, we want to cultivate more and more heart uh, for the lost. So uh, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word from the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 1, and beginning in verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Oh Lord, as we come to this section, we ask that you would be pleased to teach us, grow us, strengthen our resolve and commitment to the Great Commission. And we thank you, Lord, for your amazing providence and power as we consider this text. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, we have been uh, learning that the book of Jonah... Uh, is not so much uh, about a giant fish uh, that uh, swallows up a recalcitrant 
prophet, uh, as it is, about a sovereign and merciful God uh, that saves guilty sinners. It's about both, I know, uh, but the main focus is God's purpose of salvation for the nations. Let's not miss that as we uh, come once again to the book of Jonah, that, that the main purpose of this is to show us uh, the big heart of God for the lost, even for a people like Nineveh, who we have learned was a, uh, a real uh, uh, nasty people, uh, an idolatrous people, uh, a people who committed the worst kinds of sins and, and, uh, and treated their, their enemies uh, with the, the utmost disdain and torturous uh, activity. Uh, God has a big heart for the worst kinds of of sinners. Uh, and we know that because he has saved us. But as we look at it from the outside and we see Nineveh and we understand what kind of a people that they were and how they were the enemies of, of Israel, we see that God, God's purpose included them for his salvation purposes. Uh, it's about all of these things. Uh, and by implication, it's also about us taking part in this mission. God's purpose is to bring salvation to the nations, and it is a part of his plan and purpose to include us in this mission. Uh, We will think more about that in a few minutes. God's purpose of redemption encompasses the world, not just our little world, but the entire world, the entire world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The father, as we learned this morning, gave his own son. He sent his own son. The father sends his own son into the world, his only begotten son. And so God's covenant promise to save sinners from the nations, uh, these promises are clearly Uh, in God's word, and we see it so clearly in the Abrahamic covenant, don't we? In Genesis chapter 12, 3, let's be reminded, Genesis 12, 3, God promises, I will bless those who bless you, Abraham, and him who dishonors you, I will curse, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Salvation is not just limited to Israel, it is something that will go out to the nations. We see this in that great missionary psalm as well in Psalm 67, don't we? Psalm 67, 1 through 5. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on the earth, that your way, that is your way of salvation, your way of truth, your way of righteousness may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations, all the nations. I was sharing stories uh, recently about John Payton. Uh, he's been on the mind as I've been doing some research on his life and uh, again spoke on it uh, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, it's interesting when you think about going to a land where there are cannibals and you think about the Ninevites, how despicable they were. Well, uh, these, these cannibalistic tribes were uh, violent uh, and they literally ate their uh, victims or the ones that they were warring with. 
Uh, and uh, it's extraordinary to me to think of the commitments, not that everybody is called to go to the New Hebrides Islands and uh, to minister to the cannibals. I'm not saying that. Don't walk away from this sermon saying that I said that. Uh, it's extraordinary, but uh, what was extraordinary to me this past week in speaking with a friend of mine who's involved in a very uh, wonderful organization I'm sure you're going to be hearing more about called Radius. They train missionaries to go into unreached people groups. And these young men and women, some single, some married, are willing to go to places where they know that there will be great obstacles, great challenges, and great danger. The man who started this organization is a man who spent 20 years in Papua New Guinea. 20 years. And as we sat until way too late one night hearing stories about Papua New Guinea, I was asking one question after another because it's just incredibly fascinating and it's extraordinarily humbling. I feel like I haven't even begun to serve God speaking to these folks. And his, uh, uh, this man's father, who planted churches in this area of Papua New Guinea, he actually overheard two tribesmen who didn't think that he understood the language, and the two tribesmen were discussing. This is after being there for years and years and helping them and, and giving them a written language and providing them with all kinds of resources and preaching the gospel to them and, and providing clothing and all of these things. He overheard two tribesmen saying, why haven't you eaten the Americans yet? Can you imagine hearing that? Not least from those whom you've been reaching out to for years and showing such kindness to. But this is the, the and by the way, they said, well, because if we do, then, the, then America might show its wrath towards us, so we probably ought to hold off on that. Uh, they may uh, bring their might and, uh, and, and crush us in some way, so let's leave them alone for now. Um, but, but this kind of commitment to the lost is so extraordinary. And I ask myself, where is my heart in this? If someone, if there are Christians willing and studying even now in Tijuana, Mexico, in this training center to go to the farthest reaches of the earth, am I willing to share the gospel with someone in my neighborhood? Am I willing in the comfort of the low country of South Carolina, to engage someone with the gospel, to take someone to coffee and to, to ask them uh, about their relationship with God and to, uh, to speak to them about the good news of the gospel. Uh, these are the things that are on my mind as I, as I come to Jonah again tonight and as I have been involved in so many things that, that have been challenging me personally and I believe challenge us uh, as a church. But here we have Psalm 67, where it is stated, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. And it does shine upon us because of Christ. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations, that includes the Middle East and North Africa and Russia. It includes the whole earth, that your saving power will be known among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The question is, 
Okay, so that's the psalmist's heart. Is that our heart? Do we long for the nations to praise God as we long for other things of much lesser worth? And so we see God's heart for the nations in Genesis 12.3. In Psalm 67, 1 through 5, we also see it, of course, in uh, the end uh, of the story in Revelation 7, 9, and 10. Revelation 7, 9, and 10, you'll know these verses. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Who is there? Who is there in that great day? People from all the families of the earth, just as God promised Abraham in Genesis 12, 3. From every tribe and tongue and language, there'll be people from the highest echelons of society with, with, uh, with status and, and degrees who recognize that all of that is worthless compared to knowing Christ. And, and standing next to, to him will be an aborigine who never went to one day of school. And standing next to him will be a, a, a Russian, and standing next to him will be uh, someone from Canada, and then standing next to him will be uh, a person from Australia. And, and from all of these places and all these tribes and languages, from, from, from Africa to South America to, uh, to the Middle East to, uh, to North America and Central America, there will be people praising the Lamb. And we have the privilege of taking this gospel to them. We are charged in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, of course, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so God has a heart for the nations. God has a heart for those whom he sent uh, his son, uh, for those whom he, for whom he sent his son to die. Uh, we come to the book of Jonah and uh, we see that God initially calls Jonah uh, to the son of Amittai, verse 1, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So so, so God is sending his prophet to uh, Nineveh to preach judgment. And we've talked about this before, wondering if there was a fuller message. There most likely uh, was. Uh, but this is the initial message that comes. Call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. He is fleeing the presence of God, so he thinks. What we're going to see tonight is that you can't flee the presence of God. And if you seek to run from God or hide from God or keep things from God, then this will be exposed. This would be exposed, either now or later, or both. 
But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Well, that's where we pick up the story uh, this evening in verse 7. Notice, first of all, a fact about sin. A fact about sin. And that is that sooner or later, sin will be exposed. Look with me at verse 7 again. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Oh, how lucky. What a coincidence. No, no, the Lord, the Lord in his providence in the casting of these lots, directs them to, guides them to Jonah. Lots, of course, are commonly used in the Bible. It was a way uh, to discover God's leading and, and guidance. Uh, this morning we learned, uh, for instance, in Sunday school from uh, Tom that uh, Joshua used lots to uncover Achan's sin in Joshua 7. Uh, lots were used in the choosing of a new apostle uh, to replace Judas. But here we see the pagan sailors casting lots, and they are doing so superstitiously. They're doing so superstitiously. But God, in his providence, causes the lots to guide them to Jonah as the reason for the storm. And once again, here what we are taught, dear ones, is that we cannot escape the presence of God. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He is inescapable. Now, that's a comfort to us when we are walking in obedience and in the Spirit. When there is secret sin or when we are fleeing from God, that fact can be disconcerting. But no one can hide from God. Adam and Eve tried to do it. didn't work. Anybody who tries to do it, it does not work. Jonah is fleeing, but God is coming after him. In uh, Luke chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, uh, we learn that, quote, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Now, that's humbling. And that will compel us to be ready for the confession of sin every Lord's day. Can you imagine if everything you said or everything you thought was put on the front of the New York Times for everyone to see? It's a little bit of a litmus test about how thankful we must be for God's grace and forgiveness in Christ. But the reality is God does see and hear, and it, it expands the reality of his glorious grace towards us. But we must recognize that if we are trying, if we are thinking we are hiding from God or hiding things from God or we've convinced ourselves or lied to ourselves that somehow God does not see the sinful things we are doing or hiding away from him or the way we are running, then we need to be shaken back into reality. 
Romans 2, 15 and 16. Again, teach us this. Romans 2, 15 and 16. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Now listen. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. The secrets of men will be exposed on the day of the Lord. And so Jonah was running from the will of God. He was running from the command of God. He was running from the presence of God, but he could not outrun God. He could not outrun God. He could not outrun his presence. And in fact, God inflicted a great trial upon Jonah through the storm and through his, well, let's say, uncomfortable transport back to Nineveh. You see, God made him uncomfortable. God inflicted this trial upon him in order to bring him back to his side and to put him back on the right way. God is gracious, beloved, to bring severe mercies into our lives, to bring us back from our wanderings, to bring us back from our straying into places that we should not be as we are running in the wrong direction at times. This is mercifully what God does with his redeemed children. Why? Because he loves them. Because he loves us. He will never leave us or forsake us. Even when we are acting like fools, he is with us and he brings us to repentance. It's an important point, however, to know that if we continue to push back, if we continue to push away the Lord in the midst of running from the Lord or holding on to secret sin, there is such a thing as a kind of searing of conscience. In pastoral ministry over the last 20 years, I've, I've seen this in a number of people, uh, and it's deeply uh, disconcerting because it's just, there's a sense in which they have stopped sensing God's presence because they have pushed him away so much and they have given themselves so much to this secret sin, whatever it may be, that it's like they've lost a whole sense of what it means to walk with God, to know God. It doesn't mean they're without hope, but it does mean uh, that there uh, is a great searing of, of the conscience. And can I say this? It's really important when we think about our personal piety to recognize in our hearts quickly when they're being drawn away, when our affections are being drawn away to sinful things, to, to things which are drawing our hearts away from Christ. When we recognize that that's happening, we need to repent and to, and to confess that sin and, and to go back to the Lord. Um, because if we continue to go over and over to the sin, we will find ourselves seared in our conscience. But thankfully, God does pursue us. He pursues us all the days of our lives, and he's loving enough to discipline us in some way to shake us up and to bring us back to his side. We see that, do we not, in the story of Jonah. The second thing we see here is a confession of guilt, don't we? Look with me again at verses 8 through 10. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? 
What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. It's interesting that over and over again, particularly in the Psalms, we see God being referred to as the one who makes the sea and the dry land. You see, what have pagan religions done all throughout the ages? They have given gods to these various things. God of the sky. Or this is the God of the sea. This is Poseidon. You know, this is the God of, of the earth. This is uh, uh, the, the patron saint of this and the patron saint uh, of that. And this is typically how uh, pagan religions and, 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 and uh, uh, connections to pagan religions develop. Uh, and so here we see uh, him mentioning, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. The one true and living God is whom I serve. He first of all says, I'm a Hebrew. I'm a Hebrew. He's distinguishing himself uh, ethnically from uh, those who are with him. By doing this, he's saying, I'm a member of the covenant people of God. I am a member of the covenant people of God. Jonah, we learn here, has sinned against a loving, covenant-keeping father. By saying, I am a Hebrew, he's not only saying this uh, to just express who he was, but he's also saying it, uh, and it is bringing greater judgment on him. Jonah had sinned against a loving father. He was circumcised, and he had broken covenant with God. Thankfully, God would not let him go. And I want to plant the flag here for just a minute. It's important to remember as covenant children, uh, as small covenant children, as uh, more grown-up uh, covenant children, uh, that uh, the Lord is pursuing us all the days of our lives, and our baptism marks us in a special uh, way. God's promises have marked us. God will pursue us. He loves us. Uh, God's covenant children know God's promises, know the commands of God. They've learned about the love of God and have chosen to, and those who have chosen to serve idols instead uh, will be miserable. And I pray that uh, any covenant child that's grown up at Christ Church or that's connected to Christ Church uh, who is running away from the Lord like Jonah will be miserable like Jonah. And that God will use whatever difficulties or circumstances that he brings into their lives to bring them back. That they'll remember their baptism. That they'll remember the love of God whom they are running away from. God is always there. He is not silent. He is always calling our covenant children to repentance and faith. And those who are prodigals, he calls them to return to the fold like the prodigal. Now, not only was Jonah running from his mission task, he was also being a bad witness to his unbelieving neighbors. Who were his unbelieving neighbors in the story? Sailors. Not only was he being the, the so-called anti-missionary and not carrying out his official task from God, he was being a pathetic witness to the people right in front of him. And interestingly enough, they appear to have more piety as the story goes on than he does. It's extraordinary. He's being a bad witness. 
Compare the language of verses 2 and 6. God declared to Jonah, commanded Jonah, arise and call out. In verse 6, the pagan sailor says the same. Arise and call out. Sinclair Ferguson, in his comments on these verses, states that hearing these words from the sailor, quote, must have seemed to Jonah like a haunting echo from the past, exposing once more the guilt of his flight from God. And so a barrage of questions begins to come uh, from the sailor in verse 8. You'll see there in verse 8, where, uh, on, on, on whose account has this evil come upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? Well, when he said, I am a Hebrew, he answered a lot of those questions right there. But do you notice the one question he didn't answer? What is your occupation? What was Jonah's occupation? Prophet. He didn't say that. At least we don't have it recorded. And maybe it gives us some insight into Jonah running from God, throwing off his status as an ordained prophet of God. But we will soon see that God was not finished with him. And here, again, we must see this application that we, like Jonah, will often make foolish choices. Our children will sometimes make foolish choices. But thankfully, God does not altogether forsake us in our foolishness. In His providence and His saving power, He protects us, even in our times of rebellion. I think of the days prior to my own conversion, how God protected me numerous times from death or from other kinds of trouble. He preserved me. He protected me. Uh, even in those days prior to uniting me to Christ. And he continues to do this in our Christian lives. He protects us through his sovereign grace and, and power. And he protects us through the storms that we have invited upon our lives and brings us under the shadow of his wing. We certainly see him doing that here with Jonah. Well, how do the sailors respond to all of this? This is very interesting. How do the sailors uh, respond to all of this? Look with me at verse 11. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Uh, the storm was uh, gathering strength uh, as they were having this conversation. Uh, uh, Verse 12, he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous uh, against them. Therefore, they became resigned to what they needed to do. And rather than just do it, and do it quickly. Interestingly, they, they pray to the Lord. They're recognizing that the God of Jonah is the God of heaven, the God of the seas, the God of the storms, uh, the one who is uh, going after Jonah. Um, they're recognizing that, that there's something different about this God uh, than the pagan gods that they had called upon. 
Therefore, they called out to the Lord, verse 14, the Lord. Notice the Lord in all caps there. This is Yahweh, the, uh, the one true and living God. O Yahweh, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. You, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Well, here we see uh, some language from Psalm 135. We see language from Psalm 135 here that God does all that pleases him and is the God of uh, the seas. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. It appears that while Jonah was being a pathetic witness, as we are often, as is the case, that God, through all of this, brings these sailors to himself. It appears that these sailors have been converted. They are calling out to the Lord. They are expressing it in biblical language. They are making vows to the Lord, and they are making a sacrifice. Not only that, they tried everything they could to save Jonah. There was something in them that wanted to, uh, to, to save Jonah and to make this right without having to throw him into the sea. They had this kind of restraint that would be unusual among hard pagan sailors. It seemed that God had done a work in them. Isn't it marvelous that even when we are being unspiritual, even when we are not exhibiting a heart for the lost, the Lord will still use us nevertheless? to lead people to Christ, to see people come to the Lord. This is what the Lord does in his mercy and in his extraordinary, mysterious providence. The men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Finally, and we'll look more at this next time, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Here, of course, Christ quotes this very verse. We'll look at, again, this more later as we unpack uh, this next time. But here is uh, that which is prophesying and anticipating Christ, who will live and die and rise again on the third day for our salvation. You see, ultimately, the purpose, the saving purpose of God set forth in Jonah is that which points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, the, the ultimate missionary who, who, who didn't run from the Father sending him, but said, yes, Lord, here am I. Send me. I'm willing to go and to do what is necessary to save sinners from eternal damnation. Praise God for his goodness and mercy to us. How do we respond uh, to this? Well, beloved, as I said at the outset, my prayer is that as a church, as individuals, as families, that we would pray for more opportunities to reach our friends and neighbors for Christ, that we would be involved in the lives of of those around us who do not know the Lord, that we would have compassion. I was speaking to my wife yesterday as we were on a walk, and uh, uh, there were some 
uh, some some kids, and they were using very foul language, and and uh, we were just a little discouraged about that. And I said, you know, isn't it interesting how we can become that 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 rather than have compassion, that's the first thought towards those who are lost. We have frustration. Rather than pray for the lost, we just want them to go away. This is often how our hearts are, and it's partly because we get caught up in the rhetoric of our culture, which is extremely polarized and where people aren't looking at one another with love and compassion, but rather in political terms. Beloved, as Christians, we need to resist that. Not only this week, but over the next two years, as tensions will only continue to grow in our highly polarized culture, we need to be the ones that are leading with love, leading with kindness, leading with compassion. And no matter what uh, is going on in somebody's life, no matter what they're struggling with, you know, these days there are so many that are caught up in what is the fad of, 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 of sexual deviancy and um, uh, gender confusion and homosexuality and these things. But, but rather than respond to that with just, you know, disgust or something, that we would recognize that we are sinners as well. And that these folks, the first thing they need is what the first thing we need. And that is the grace of God. They need Christ. And so we need to approach relationships and opportunities with love and with compassion and with a heart for the lost. Uh, also, I, I want to say that as a congregation, I would like to see us growing uh, at, in our, our heart for um, mission, for the sending of missionaries, for the raising up of missionaries in this congregation, that we would raise up anti-Jonas, uh, not those who want to run the opposite direction from mission, but those who want to run headlong into mission, filled with the Spirit, and recognizing that our time on this earth is very limited, and we want to use it for the glory of God, whether it's in your occupation, being salt and light, or whether it is going into all the world to make disciples. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for uh, this text. We thank you for the rich contours of the book of Jonah and all that it's teaching us about um, our own sin. Even as we see Jonah, we have a mirror uh, reflecting back to us many of our own inconsistencies and sins and, and, and our uh, hiding from you at times or running from you. And uh, Lord, we pray uh, that we would uh, in uh, those moments uh, run to Christ for forgiveness, for grace, for pardon, for strength. We pray, Lord, as well, that by your spirit, uh, you would strengthen our resolve and commitment to mission and evangelism that we would not be those that just look to other people to do that, but that we ourselves would be salt and light in various ways, inviting people to church, writing letters, writing emails, uh, committing to having coffee with uh, individuals, having people in our homes, uh, reaching out to people who walk through the doors of our church, that we would be mindful as a congregation of these things, not only loving one another reciprocally, but loving those who need Christ. Oh Lord, would you do this in us? And may you receive all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I invite you to please uh, stand uh, with me as we sing uh, Rock of Ages, Clef for Me, number 452.
We're going to sing this, however, to the, um, the older, uh, not the older, it's actually the newer version in the older hymnal uh, to the tune of New City 